Hello and welcome to the Banker podcast series, Banking Under Pressure. I'm James King, the Banker's Europe editor, and I'm joined today by Unicredit's chief international economist, Daniel Vanazza, to discuss the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the UK and US economies. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Um, so we've seen, obviously, unprecedented economic disruption um, around the world as a result of, of COVID-19. But let's look at the, the UK context uh, specifically to start off with. Um, what kind of implications can we expect in terms of the country's growth trajectory this year? In the UK, social distancing measures to contain the spread of COVID-19 were implemented by the government from the 21st of March. Since then... All businesses selling non-essential services and goods in-store have closed. UK car producers have temporarily shut down. We estimate that, as a result, right now output is roughly 25% below pre-crisis levels. How long will it last for? We expect these containment measures to last into June and then be eased gradually in the second half of the year. Before restrictions can be lifted, the number of new cases of the virus must slow down substantially and testing needs to be wrapped up. We expect a fairly strong recovery in the second half of the year. There will be pent-up demand for non-essential items, but output will not simply snap back to its pre-crisis level. Many firms will go out of business, unemployment will be sharply higher, and firms and households are likely to want to hold higher cash reserves. Fear of a second wave of infections as containment measures are eased will weigh on business investment. Overall, UK GDP will probably contract about 10% this year, but uncertainty is very high. So a 10% contraction of GDP potentially this year, that's obviously huge. Um, and uh, the UK authorities have obviously stepped in uh, and announced a suite of, of measures really to support the economy during this difficult time, um, including sort of fiscal and monetary measures. Um, have they gone far enough, do you think, in light of the situation? Yes, I mean, it's a good start. My colleagues here at Unicredit and I have estimated that the government has announced a fiscal stimulus worth around £70 billion. That's 3.2% of GDP. And that includes £27 billion worth of support for businesses. Within that, we've got the Jobs Retention Scheme. That's where HMRC will reimburse 80% of wages up to £2,500 a month for all furloughed workers for three months. And there's support for the self-employed as well on a similar scheme to the job retention scheme. Both are vital to support firms and households in bridging this period of huge economic disruption. But implementation lags will cost jobs. The government has also announced loans and guarantees worth around £330 billion, so 15% of GDP. Unprecedented. But these loans have to be paid back. I think more fiscal support will be needed, including bailouts of firms, and it's likely to come soon. The Bank of England has pretty much done what it can to support the economy. It's cut the bank rate by 65 basis points to 0.1% and announced £200 billion worth of increases in the stock of its asset purchases, mostly of UK government bonds and some corporate bonds and commercial paper. It also increases liquidity operations, and the Bank of England's Financial Policy Committee has reduced its cap to cyclical buffer to 0% from 1%. There's not a lot more the Bank of England can do. Right, okay. So there is a, a fairly uh, 
uh, widespread and, and seemingly effective um, set of measures in place here in the UK. And if we turn now um, our attention to, I guess, the US experience across the Atlantic and what's taking place um, over there, um, in terms of key developments, um, I think what's interesting and what you've written about quite recently, Daniel, is is um, issues really around the labor market there and some of the, you know, the, the degree to which um, uh, people in the U.S. are now filing for unemployment claims. So what really are, are the implications looking at the U.S. context in terms of um, the labor market in particular? Yeah, we're seeing a sharp deterioration in the U.S. labor market. The, the U.S. is about three weeks behind Italy in its epidemic curve. That compares to a two-week lag for the U.K. So the, the worst is still to come for the U.S. The economy, economy is largely shut down in the U.S., with most states and cities ordering people to stay at home or shelter in place, as some states call it. The economy shedded a whopping 701,000 jobs in March. That's the biggest loss of jobs since March 2009. The data collection period for that was the second week of March, and that came before the lockdowns took place. So like I say, the worst is still to come. Cumulative initial jobless claims for the two weeks ending the 28th of March totaled 10 million. That's more than seven times the previous high set in 1992. The unemployment rate, I think, is likely to rise well above 10% already in April. So really, this is um, sort of fairly, uh, you know, somewhat unprecedented times we're living in, in terms of the economic impact, particularly on on, on the US, as, as you mentioned there, in terms of the job numbers. And perhaps we can build on that and just, just get your take on, on what this all means uh, for the global economy moving forward. Um, I know you've done some research quite recently, Daniel, um, in terms of looking at, at um, you know, the, the prospects for, or, for a global recession this year. Um, what can we expect? What will it look like? Will it be deep? Will it be long? Yes, a global recession now is inevitable and it will be deep. We think the, the deepest global recession since the Great Depression of the 1930s. This is not like any normal recession. This is a simultaneous sudden stop for a large part of the real economy. If you compare it to what we saw uh, that we experienced during the Great Recession, which was a financial crisis, that was a shock that started in the financial sector and propagated through that to the real economy. But it was, it was not immediate. This is an immediate shock to the whole real economy, which could, if not well handled, become a financial crisis later. Global GDP, I think, will fall around 6% this year, and that's assuming a relatively strong rebound in the second half of the year. The risk to a strong recovery has to be skewed to the downside. A lot of firms will go out of business, and unemployment is going to spike, and that could cause damage to the potential growth rate of the economy. Right. And you mentioned there that if this isn't handled in the right way, it could lead to a financial crisis later down the line. Um, just in terms of, of sort of the big picture, in terms of where the financial services industry is at today, uh, sort of 10 or more years after the last crisis, um, are we in a better position, do you think? Is the industry healthier than it was? Is it better able to cope with perhaps the coming strains? It's in a much better position than it was 10 years ago. Balance sheets are much stronger of the financial sector. Capital requirements are a lot higher. Liquidity requirements are a lot higher. And actually, the real economy has also got stronger balance sheets, particularly the household sector, compared to where we were 
uh, 10 years ago or more. So that's the good news. The question now is, is, is the policy response strong enough, timely enough and effective enough to prevent this becoming a lot worse? And also we have the risk of the virus as well. We, we don't know. But one thinks that this will end in a few months, um, although restrictions are likely to stay in place, maybe through the rest of the year, they will be eased in the second half of the year. But if we get a second wave of that virus, as the virus mutates slightly, like the seasonal flu does, then it could recur again. And if we don't have a vaccine and we haven't built herd immunity, we could have this ongoing sort of spikes up in the number of infections. And this, the longer it goes on, the more problems there will be for potential output. Okay, well, I guess uh, time will tell on that front. And uh, Daniel, thank you so much for your time today and, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.